Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. AEW changing channels, Ricochet receives backlash from a tweet, and let's talk about some zombies. I'm Jaden Becker, and welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast. Breaking news, AEW Dynamite changing channels. Warner Media announced AEW Dynamite is moving from TNT to TBS in January of 2022, and a new hour-long show named AEW Rampage will debut on August 13th at 10 p.m. on TBS. AEW will still have a small presence on TNT as a part of a brand new television deal, the company's third in less than a year and a half with Warner Media. August 13th is a Friday and 10 p.m., so that directly follows SmackDown there. Uh, interesting choice for AEW. I would like to call this a downgrade uh, if they didn't have that additional show, because that definitely helps, but moving from TNT to TBS, is that a downgrade? I guess that, that depends on what you actually watch, because TBS, uh, at least on my end, is usually the, the comedy stage and TNT is where they have all the movies and things like that. And also, AEW is just taking up way too much space on TNT with the NBA and now the NHL making its way to Warner Media. Uh, obviously, Warner Media wants to have all those big games of NHL Wednesday nights, and uh, the NBA has been booted out of a couple slots on TNT because of AEW. So going to see what's going to happen going forward. But now we know for a fact that AEW is moving to TBS. And not only are they moving there, they're getting an additional hour of television time uh, following SmackDown on uh, Friday night. Ricochet receiving backlash from a tweet. A WWE tweet went out asking fans who's the best high flyer right now in the WWE, and Ricochet was confidently uh, able to respond, uh, there's literally no one who can do what I do and how I do it, but I let y'all discuss. Sunglasses emoji. I'll make sure I had, had all the emojis here for you. Uh, after a fan responded saying that because there are different high flying styles, Ricochet responded by saying, Quote, and none of them are as good as mine, shrugging emoji. The fan then responded again saying that Io Shirai is also a phenomenal high flyer and that she is the best at what she does. Ricochet then responded by saying, quote, I'm not saying she's not amazing. She 100% is, but I can do everything in all caps. She can do probably even better. She can't do what I am capable of. Maybe not even half. Oh, Ricochet. Uh, I was singing your praise yesterday in the last episode of the Daily DDT Podcast, and now you're coming out here uh, making me look bad, given the fact that you're, you're so confident. I thought you were a babyface in this situation. Remember yesterday I was talking about how WWE is building up their babyface is so odd? Maybe Ricochet actually is just a heel in disguise, and wearing uh, Sheamus' hat and Sheamus' uh, jacket. Maybe he really is a heel. So Because uh, this was a pretty heel interaction, if I do say so myself. He's promoting himself to the thinking that he's the greatest in the world, that high-flying, and uh, he tried to give credit to Shirai there, and it definitely is a conversation to be had, but to say that uh, she can't do uh, not even half of what he's able to do, I think it's just it's just not a, it's a cocky, and it might be even be true, but it's just too cocky for me, uh, and, and you're talking to somebody that's very cocky himself, but... Um, what I will say is that Ricochet, I think, might have stepped over a line that he did not need to as a babyface in the WWE. I hope this doesn't affect him in any way, shape, or form when it comes to television time because uh, I need Ricochet on, on my TV as much as possible because he is a fantastic talent and he finally did look like Ricochet in the last episode of Monday Night Raw. Hope for a fact that that, that great match didn't go straight to his head and straight to his fingers uh, when he was tweeting about uh, this discussion here. So very, very odd, but it is what it is, Ricochet. 
Uh, just don't do that again. You're supposed to be a baby face here. If you're a heel, then you could do that. But not, not right now. Not right now. We're going to get right into our show review for last night's NXT. But first, let us thank our sponsor, Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They assess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Manscaped has created the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 4.0. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. I have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDE20 at manscaped.com. That is FANSIDE20, all caps, at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence knows you use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Let's get into last night's episode of NXT and what an episode it was. I know I've been saying that lately about a, a couple episodes, but the, I think this NXT hit right on the head and uh, the booking has just been absolutely perfect for NXT. But let's get into it. Tony Storm versus Zoe Stark to open the show. Axon falls outside early on as Storm tosses Stark into the ring steps. Uh, Stark with some fun comeback spots throughout Storm, picking up the, the win with an insane finishing maneuver that I've, I don't think I've ever seen before, at least not in NXT, in quite some uh, some time because Tony Storm broke out something pretty crazy there. I think it was like a a floating maneuver to DDT. At least that it ended up as a DDT at the end. But uh, the way that she positioned Zoe Stark in the be- beginning did not look like it was going to be a DDT. Uh, Storm gets a much needed victory here as she's taken a couple uh, losses uh, coming into this one, and uh, Stark continues to stay on par with the rest of the women's division. But notice, uh, I'm not saying that she's being above and beyond here because she's definitely not being booked as such. But she's staying on par. She's Zoe Stark is uh, ever since her debut has been considered to be like one of the rest, which is not bad. It which is not terrible in a sense. I wish she was getting pushed a little bit harder, but uh, what I will say, Zoe Stark, she was thrown right into the fire, and she's still cooking. She's still cooking, and, and hopefully it's that she will continue to cook and not sizzle away. I want her to cook into something that we can really uh, bite our teeth into and say, hey, we're, we're proud to see Zoe Stark finally grow into this star, and uh, it might be some time because she's still being... Uh, I wouldn't call her a pawn, but she's still being a, like a chess piece being moved in certain situations where she needs to be. She hasn't really been able to do go off and do her own thing, which I kind of get. It's still very early on for Zoe Stark, but uh, I'm, I'm she's staying on par. She's staying on par. So she's not getting any worse. She's not getting any better either. So take that as you may. Frankie Monet appears at the top of the entrance ramp after the match, literally stealing the spotlight from Tony Storm. Not sure if Frankie Monet is supposed to be a face or a heel at this point still. Still a little bit confusing, but but uh, take that as you may uh, as well, because Frankie Monet has been involved in both babyface and heel situations dating back to her debut, dating back to Frankie Monet with the flowers popping up, the, you know, op- opening the card that isn't hers. So that, that was a heelish thing to do. And then also holding the dog. I feel like that's also like the dog is kind of a heel prop in a way as well, if you kind of look at it. So uh, a little odd for Frankie Monet because she sort of stands in that tweener no man's land area. But I think it will come out at one point that she's a heel. I, I, I That's what I assume that she is. But if her first feud is with Tony Storm to her debut, let's say it's against Tony Storm because that's what it might look like at this point. Um, we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. But Definitely a little odd, at least to start for Frankie Monet, Taya Valkyrie, if uh, you haven't caught on with the name changes yet for 
uh, her moving over from Impact to NXT. Moving on, prime target uh, between Karrion Cross and Finn Balor. They're looking back at their match at Stand and Deliver. A candid analysis, and I put candid in my notes here in air quotes because, you know, pro wrestling, but a candid in the sense of uh, you really feel like they're talking from the heart of how these moves actually felt. Uh, an, an analysis of their match from, from both competitors. And I love this because Karrion Cross talking about Finn Balor's uh, coup de grace saying that, ah, oh, it felt like it went right through me, right through my chest, but he still kicked out at the end and Finn Balor uh, talking about how yeah, he felt the, the knocking right in the back of his head. So I love this. It feels so raw. It feels so real. And it was great producing on uh, the end of NXT. And uh, they even had uh, interview spots where they're asking uh, an analysis or asking uh, people uh, who they think is going to win the match between uh, Karrion Cross and Finn Balor, I believe in, in two weeks' time. And they even had Paul Heyman come on and say who he thinks is going to win. And uh, he has a great line here saying, usually I'm known for giving uh, uh, spoilers instead of predictions. And he says, between Cross and Balor, a little too close to call. And I, I just wrote in my notes, wow, that was great. Because, you know, I... I Finn, uh, I mean, Paul Heyman gives a stamp of approval there with, with that match. And we already know how great that match could be because we saw it once before already. Now we're going to be able to see it again. And uh, I love the way that they build up these type of matches because we've seen Cena Orton all the time. I think that's just the first example that comes to my head, right? We've seen a ton of matches between two people all the time, right? But when they label it as so-and-so number two, it feels special again. It feels like a main event once again. Like how they do they do that in boxing all the time. They do that in UFC all the time. And now NXT trying to carry along that ride. I think it makes the most sense for something to happen like that. If if they did a Cena Rock 2, if they made it built like that, I feel like that would have been better than just giving it to us again and not dubbing it anything. I think they might have might have dubbed it. I think it was a champion versus something. I really can't remember off the top of my head. I know the first time was, you know, the once-in-a-lifetime match ended up being a twice-in-a-lifetime match, but um, my memory fails me there. Moving on, Jake Atlas versus Cameron Grimes. Grimes shows Ted DiBiase's lowlights as he enters into uh, the arena, which is actually, honestly, it showed how much of a legend uh, Ted DiBiase really is. And uh, Ted DiBiase is still around. He also appeared on this episode of NXT in a little bit. And uh, he even still doing signings. He's still doing signings with uh, IRS. And uh, it's great. Just great, great job, Ted DiBiase, still uh, chilling around in in uh, the world of professional wrestling and uh, with the WWE and not floating around with AEW or anything like that. Uh, Atlas hot early on, strong double Irish rip from Atlas. Uh, DiBiase pulls up in a limo uh, outside in the parking area. Uh, Grimes calling spots pretty loud in this match, and usually I don't note these because sometimes I hear it, sometimes I don't. And if it depends on how loud I have my TV up, but it was so loud and so much so I felt like it was notable enough for me to mention it on the podcast. So here I am. Uh, DiBiase enters at the top of the entrance ramp and causes Grimes to lose the match on a roll-up. Atlas with a huge, huge win here, even though he still sits at the bottom or the near bottom of the uh, men's roster for NXT. Not that that's a bad thing, but we had, at one point I said Isaiah Swerve Scott was sitting at the bottom of the um, men's division uh, at NXT, but look where he is now. He has his own group. So Grimes, uh, even though he does take the loss here, he's great in every way, shape, or form. I love everything he's doing. I love everything he's done with his gimmick, evolving after injury, now coming back and legitimately making a 
substantial amount of money after the boom of the GameStop stuff and the AMC stuff and whatever, you know, Doge, if you want to even call it that and everything. So uh, all the booms, he made money for real himself and now brought that into his world of professional wrestling. So I give him a ton of credit in the world, able to adapt, able to evolve. And Grimes, even though in defeat here, I still feel like comes out as a victor in some way, shape or form, given that he's been paired with Ted DiBiase in a feud or in a relationship going forward. So, you know, when you have those two names, you have a Hall of Famer pat, you know, paired up with you. It's a smart thing to do to make you look pretty good. Moving on, Pete Dunne in an interview segment. Dunne looking for a championship from anyone at this point. He pretty much says NXT Championship, North American Championship, uh, Cruiserweight, whatever. You know, the, he even mentioned the NXT UK Championship that he's you know put on the map. Uh, he believes the quality of his work speaks for himself in his British wrestling style. I love everything he does with the, the finger stuff, especially after that Finn Balor match where Balor could barely even point at the camera the way that his hands were crippled. I love that. I love these type of interviews, especially because of Arash uh, Makazi. Uh, he's a real journalist asking the real questions a real journalist would ask. Almost feels like the interview is kind of out of kayfabe. I think at a point, Pete Dunne actually might have thought that this interview was out of kayfabe because when he was talking about uh, the fan reaction, and he almost talked about how much he's missing the fans uh, throughout this interview. He's a heel, so he's not supposed to talk about the fans in that way, shape, or form. I know every wrestler broke kayfabe or broke uh, character, except Roman Reigns, at the entrance ramp for uh, WrestleMania to open the show when they were greeting the fans there at uh, Tampa Bay. But other than that, uh, people really have been uh, sort of hush-hushed, at least the heels have been, about the fans returning. So uh, I, I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. I love Arash Makazi because he's a real journalist doing real journalistic things with the WWE. And also staying within the walls of kayfabe. You know, the Adam Cole interview went a little bit off the rails, but this Pete Dunne interview felt genuine. It felt like something that I wouldn't be watching on NXT television. It felt like something I would be watching on Daily DDT. It felt like something I would be watching from a wrestling media outlet, not from the actual product of the show, if you understand what I'm getting at. Moving on, next match, Killian Dane versus Alexander Wolfe. Wolf is forced to use a steel chair by Imperium, but Wolf doesn't have the will strength to do it. A crossbody downs Wolf, uh, giving Dane the quick victory in this match. Wolf once again not following Imperium's orders and is attacked by Imperium after the match. Some may say that this was a little bit too fast to happen. I say rightfully so, given Imperium's uh, known culture and known uh, lifestyle that they've learned to breed. Uh, you look at Imperium and you know you look at their tights and they say that they have like a respect for the ring and respect for the mat. And uh, I felt like they were disrespected by uh, Alexander Wolf. So in in this sense, and you disrespect us, we're gonna attack you. And I feel like that makes sense there in that way, shape, or form. People might say it might have happened too fast. I think I'm able to swallow it in a way where it makes storyline sense or at least makes character sense. It might be a best way to put it. Given that Imperium's laws, rules, and their belief system is kind of based around that honor, and they don't feel like they were getting that from Wolf, so they attacked him. So I felt rightfully so, rightfully so. Legato del Fantasma versus Thatcher and Champa. Champa angry early on, giving Thatcher and himself the early advantage. Mendoza bleeding from his nose early on. I thought that this was coming from his mouth, but I, th I think it, it was coming from his nose, because uh, when they cleaned him up, they were patting up his nose um, after the commercial break. Mendoza making the most of the color, the accidental color, I should say, uh, by really looking directly into the camera, and I'm making faces into my microphone even though you can't see me, uh, <laughs> looking directly into the camera, showing off all the blood that is dripping out of his nose and into his mouth, so I thought that was great there. 
after the commercial break, Mendoza is cleaned up and uh, is ready to go on con- and continue. Uh, not going to let a broken nose or something like that stop him from competing. Great back and forth and fantastic wrestling from both teams. Uh, Champa attacked by the Grizzled Young Veterans with the ref distracted. Legado Fantasma pick up the win. And this tag team division is so, so, so strong. I love how everyone is doing their own thing. Everyone has their own beef. Everyone has their own rivalry. Not everyone is going for the NXT Tag Team Championships, even though that is is an emotional end goal for all people. We all understand that, but it's not shoved down our throats every week like how it is on the main roster. Everyone is doing their own thing. Everyone has their own kind of beef, and it, it, there's a big difference from everyone doing their own thing and everyone doing the same thing. A really, really big difference. That kind of lies in the sense of uh, you look at, I think the best way to put it, you look at the main roster, the people that are doing their own thing right now, RK Bro and The New Day kind of doing their own thing, feuding with each other, not really feuding for a championship. But you go to SmackDown, every single person wants a championship. That's the problem. There's no feud between one another. It's just everyone with the same exact goal. And that goal kind of makes sense if the championships are brand new, kind of like the NXT women's tag team division. If the tag team titles are brand new, then it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense in that way. It's, or if, let's say, there's a tournament. Everyone's trying to win the tournament. So that kind of makes sense. But if nothing's going on and nothing's brand new, then you want to see sort of feuds happening between teams and not between titles, if that makes the, the most sense there. But NXT's been doing a great job with that so far. Next match, Saray versus Aaliyah with Robert Stone. Uh, nice hat, Robert Stone, by the way. I love the subtle wave by Saray as she steps into the ring. Not pompy, not circumstancy. She's just here to wrestle. She's just here to get her brawl on. She just walks into the ring, flips her right hand in the air as the sun rises behind her. An absolutely fantastic visual and also tells so much about Saray without doing uh, too much either. Uh, Aaliyah doesn't accept the handshake early on, which hurt my feelings because I feel like those handshakes are kind of genuine. Like, I, I, I respect you, but uh, Aaliyah doesn't doesn't accept the handshake there. Saray with great stiff kicks throughout this match, a suplex to win it for Saray. She'll be an NXT Women's Champion by this time next year, maybe even before the end of 2021. And uh, I'm not afraid to say that. And I, and I, I don't think that that take will come and bite me in the butt either because I think a lot of other people kind of think in that way. Just look at how they've been building up other newcomers to this women's division and look how they're building up Saray. She is here ready to wrestle. She has been hot from the jump. From the jump. So I think she'll be NXT Women's Champion uh, at some point. At least at least by this time next year. What's the date? May 19th, 2021? I think we'll, we'll see her at least hold that championship once. And if not, maybe even earlier uh, before the end of 2021. Uh, remember this date, May 19th. May 19th, remember this date. Hit Row versus Tony Nese and Ari Davari. Uh, Hit Row, Death Row, kind of get their Death Row records uh, with um, Tupac and Suge Knight. Uh, gang sign to uh, tag in and out for Hit Row, which I thought was a nice touch. Top Dollar, he's from A&E, uh, that, that most wanted treasure show. Also looks a little bit like Suge Knight, <laughs> so I guess it kind of looks there. Uh, Hit Row with a dominant win uh, in easy fashion for their 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 debut. Uh, they, I need a head count for, and I was supposed to do this before uh, I started recording, but here we are. Uh, I need a head count for factions compared to AEW. I'll, I'll do that for the next episode, given the next episode 
it is AEW. I'll do a head count for how many factions there are compared between both shows because I want to see who has more. I think it's AEW if I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But uh, I think it might be coming close because NXT is building up some factions of their own, even though they did lose a, lose one with um, with uh, Undisputed Era, which might be the most important faction to ever come out of NXT. Isaiah Swerve Scott eyeing the North American title. He's come so far since February, and good for Scott. You can call this a push. I call this trust. Trust in a way that he must lead and carry three others in a group. If this was just a push, I feel like he would be doing this on his own. I feel like he already had his push with all his time that he had with uh, Leon Ruff. So uh, that was already his push. Now he's been trusted after the fantastic stuff that he did with Ruff. To him now to carry up three other people, which is a lot of trust because these are three other people's careers that you have in your hands. If Swerve Scott fails, those three others will fail along in the process or have a higher chance of failing along in the process. So Scott has three people to hold on to now. You know, we all know Johnny Gargano can do that. He's been trusted in carrying up Austin Theory and Indy Hartwell, and so has Candice LeRae, but, you know, it's sort of Johnny Gargano is the leader of that. Uh, I feel that now, sort of Scott having the faction of his own, WWE and NXT have a lot of trust in him going forward, and we could see some big things from Swerve Scott, given that he's been entrusted with the, the careers of three others. Moving on, Johnny Gargano and Bronson Reed for the North American Championship in a steel cage. Johnny Gargano coming into this one as the North American Champion. Keeping others out of the ring, a steel cage, perfect, just like I said, even though Austin Theory did his best to get involved in this match, and he definitely did. I feel like a steel cage physical barrier better signifies keeping people out than uh, a ring of zombies or a ring of other people, I should say. Gargano tries to sprint out of the ring as soon as possible as the match starts, uh, which would have given him the win hilariously, and uh, that would have been uh, very funny if that match just ended like that, with Gargano sprinting out of the, the ring to start the match. Great spot by Bronson Reed pressing his body against Gargano, sandwiching his opponent against the cage. A theory still, as I mentioned, a distraction in this match on the outside, even trying to pull Gargano out of the door, uh, which was fun as well. Reed kicks out of the one final beat, and this was a springboard one final beat as Gargano couldn't complete the move with the steel cage so close to the ring ropes. A tsunami by Bronson Reed, and then Reed could have escaped out of the door right there, but no, he slams the door behind him and then connects with a second tsunami to win the North American Championship. Oh my goodness, what a visual. What made the whole match was him slamming that door. As soon as that door slammed, I popped right out of my chair and I knew that match was over right there. But he could have walked out, he could have not pinned Gargano and it could have gone a little bit further saying, oh he never pinned me, he just walked out. No, he slammed that door shut. He said, my time is now, and oh boy, is it is it right now, because Bronson Reed will hold on to this North American Championship, uh, at least until Swerve Scott is ready to get his hands on the North American title. I'll give that until the summer. I'll give that maybe three, four months, and then Bronson Reed will go on to do uh, bigger things in NXT as well. Maybe three, four, five months uh, for Bronson Reed to hold this North American title. But uh, NXT... Currently booking perfect on all fronts. I can't really think of a, an area where NXT isn't really booking well. They're booking a fantastic men's uh, main event 
division and a main event roster in a sense of where they have uh, Karrion Cross as the head of it. They have a fantastic mid-card. I think that challenges any other mid-card anywhere else in professional wrestling for this North American title. Uh, their women's division is also fantastic as well. Let me not forget to talk about NXT's uh, men's tag team division where everyone's doing their own thing and everyone has their own story to tell. It's not everyone fighting for the same type of uh, uh, outcome. Every, not everyone's fighting for the championship. They're all fighting for their own right and their own storylines. And also, you look at this women's division. Raquel Gonzalez is leading it in a fantastic way. Uh, I would like to see Io Shirai to get a little bit more involved, but she she already had her time in the sun, and maybe it'd be a good time for her to take a break, in which it is currently uh, standing. And this also, the women's tag team division is head and shoulders a thousand times better than the uh, the main roster. So uh, I think they're doing everything right. I think they're doing everything right, and I give them a lot of credit. Uh, B-plus for this episode of NXT. I genuinely enjoyed every single match. And... Uh, Bronson Reed is your new NXT North American champion, and he's ready to lead that mid-card for the next few months, and I think we're all happy with that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about some zombies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't don't click away too fast. Don't click away too fast. We're going to be talking about the reaction around the professional wrestling community about the zombies at WrestleMania Backlash, and then my thoughts as well. So stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on May 19th, 1996, a moment now dubbed the Curtain Call occurred in Madison Square Garden in New York City. The card consisted of Triple H pitting Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels retaining the WWF Championship against Diesel in a steel cage match in the main event. This event marked the last appearance in the WWF for eight years for Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who played the gimmick characters of Razor Ramon and Diesel in the early and mid-90s and were leaving to join the rivals of WCW. This house show is most notable for the event that took place at the conclusion of the main event steel cage match. Both Michaels and Diesel embraced each other at the end of the match and were joined by Razor Ramon and uh, Triple H in the cage who hugged each other from there in front of the live crowd breaking kayfabe in front of in Madison Square Garden crowd in New York City, which is a pretty insane. Uh, this event has become known as the Curtain Call and in turn exposed the wrestling business pretty much in the mecca of sports media in New York City. The Curtain Call directly or indirectly, if you uh, look at it in, in wherever, whatever light you want to look at it from, uh, triggered what the wrestling business became in the late 1990s, the Attitude Era, even though this wasn't the direct start of the Attitude Era, I should say that this had helped usher the boom in professional wrestling. It really all came after this event here with Kevin Nash and uh, Scott Hall all making their way over to WCW, starting that rivalry there between uh, the two brands and between the WWF and WCW changing uh, professional wrestling forever. Talk about changing professional wrestling forever. Zombies had WrestleMania backlash. <laughs> And uh, a lot of people have their opinions on it. Let's start off by saying this. First and foremost, uh, I, I hated it. I did not enjoy the zombies in any way, shape, or form. Did it set the business back 30 years, however? No. I sometimes wish people say it set the business back 25 years. That means we're going back to the curtain call. We're going back to the, the golden age. We're going to the attitude era. So that means we're cooking with gas. But uh, I hated it because it was a sellout move. 
if it was booked as a zombies match the whole way and it's made sense with the people that were in the ring, meaning the characters made sense why the zombies would be there, I think I would have been able to swallow it better. But there was such a disconnect between the competitors and the zombies themselves. It just felt like such a sellout move by the WWE. That's why I was so upset. You could have just put zombies on the screen and put the logo of the movie in the Thunderdome screams as well and call it a day. And I think that would have been the best bet with the WWE just to do that and not to have the physical zombies there at all. We've seen matches be sponsors before in this era, in the Thunderdome era, and it's been fine. I think WWE and Rey Mysterio wrestled in a match sponsored by a a Mexican uh, adult beverage company, and it made sense because, you know, Rey Mysterio, the Mexican connection, and you have this company wanting to sponsor it, so you have all all parties coming all together and all kind of making sense. This just felt like it, it, it was a random wrench that didn't really make sense. The zombies just didn't not. The media outrage was huge as well. Even hitting the mainstream, everyone has been referencing the New York Post article written by Joseph Stashevsky. A lot of people have been put off by the mainstream media covering pro wrestling, but Stashevsky isn't an outsider looking in. If anything, he's more of an insider than a lot of the people that we talk about in our media, in our pro wrestling media. I also have a lot of love for Joseph, given that we both came from St. Francis Prep, or both alumni in Queens, New York. So uh, either way, WrestleMania Backlash in his review was headlined by the New York Post saying that the this was the headline here, quote, Zombie stunt at WrestleMania backlash is one of the WWE's saddest moments ever. If you go through the actual piece that Tashevsky wrote, he didn't really trash the match. He just chalked it up as a really, really bad sellout moment on a pretty good pay-per-view, which I kind of agree with. I just think a lot of wrestling media caught wind of the headline and got scared it's going to be the end-all, be-all. All know the Post wrote bad about pro wrestling and wrote bad about the WWE. Well, deservedly so, because I think we can all agree that that was pretty bad. I know a lot of people, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of people, but a minority amount of people saying, well, this is the E in the WWE. This is the entertainment. This wasn't entertaining. What was entertaining for me in that pay-per-view was the main event. What was entertaining was Roman Reigns versus Cesaro. That was an entertaining match. I told an entertaining story. This was just an oddity. This was bizarre. And this was a sellout move. Everyone has their own thoughts about this match. Jericho, uh, Chris Jericho poked fun at himself after the Blood and Guts backlash, saying that the Zombies match is what set the business back 30 years. Bray Wyatt even tweeted out, Miss me yet? Hashtag zombies. MVP did some tweeting of his own mocking fans. Uh, This is what he wrote in a tweet stating, quote, I think zombies in wrestling are so stupid. Also, Undertaker is the best! 20 exclamation points. And then responding to this tweet saying, I don't have to defend anything. Just pointing out the ridiculous hypocrisy. Taker didn't eat people, but he was a dead man, in all caps. He could teleport and shoot lightning. He was buried alive, but no, he didn't eat people. That is just too unbelievable. So obviously MVP shooting fun at at pro wrestling fans, but I think MVP is way off here because at least The Undertaker is 30 years established as a character in pro wrestling so we could all swallow what he does as a part of the show. Part of the, It's the character work. Zombies were just thrown at us in a sellout move to brand Batista's movie. It made no sense. It, it was just not a good look there for MVP to try to compare the two. I see his effort. I see his effort, but I think trying to compare the two, Zombies and The Undertaker, even though on paper they're both dead men or whatever you want to call it, 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 Undertaker's The Undertaker. 
He has the greatest WrestleMania streak of all time. Arguably one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. We were all able to swallow that because we are able to take that with a grain of salt in the story. But to throw zombies at us out of nowhere, it was kind of a slap, of, slap in our face of our, our intelligence. Even Batista didn't want anything uh, to do with the zombies in, in response to the backlash. He said uh, in a when he was being bombarded with tweets because this all pretty much happening happening because of Batista's movie and the sponsorship of Batista's Army of the Dead movie, he writes in a tweet, quote, WTF you telling me? You think I booked a bunch of effing zombies? I'm on a damn plane. Shouldn't you be tweeting Vince? And uh, this was just a mess. WrestleMania Backlash was a fantastic pay-per-view outside of uh, the zombies, and I pray that we can all recognize that. Roman versus Cesaro was a great match. The Mysterious family made history, and the zombies happened in a time where if it was done right, or done in the month of October during Halloween, or the Halloween episode of SmackDown or Raw, I think we all could have swallowed it better, saying like, all right, pro wrestling still is for the kids sometimes, you gotta remember that, and... If it happened during the month of October, maybe during the Halloween episode, uh, we would have been able to swallow it, much like how we see these Christmas matches or these Thanksgiving matches or whatever. Uh, it's just for happening in the month of May, kind of just like, come on, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? But those are my thoughts, and those are the thoughts of uh, the media. Those are the thoughts of uh, the professional wrestling community, some of the wrestlers in pro wrestling, what they had to say as well. So uh, let me know what you thought about the zombies. I'm, I'm thinking we're probably going to get a unanimous, well, close to unanimous decision of what the zombies' outcome was. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, Jaden Becker TV, uh, for for all your thoughts. Let me know. I'm not afraid to hear. All right, looking on to our next episode, AEW Dynamite, still on TNT, still on TNT. Let that be known. Uh, when I was about to click record on this podcast, and then I see, boop, the news popped up four minutes ago that uh, saying that uh, AEW is making the move to uh, TBS, which was very, very surprising. But sticking with the right now, Varsity Blondes versus the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Anthony Gunn versus Anthony Agogo. I'm assuming Anthony Agogo, which has a great name, remind you, uh, will win in 15 seconds. Let's set the timer there. Red Velvet versus Serena Deeb for the NWA Women's Championship. And Christian Cage versus Matt Seidel. So let's see what Christian Cage is still able to do here. That's all for me. Remember to get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That is FANSIDED20, all caps, at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at dailyddt.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.